MSW Media. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. Thanks to Feels for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. Feels CBD is the natural, healthy, better way to feel better, and it ships directly to your doorstep in only a few days. Go to feels.com slash cleanup, F-E-A-L-S, feels.com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, March 16th. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, is real-life lawyer, Andrew Torres. <laughs> Thanks, Allison. Uh, and as always, I want to thank our new patrons who signed up over on patreon.com slash aisle45pod. That's aisle four five pod for as little as a buck an episode. So thank you to Geneva, to Richard Fitzgerald, to Slava Ukraini, which... Uh, that means what I think it means. Glory, so. glory to Ukraine. Ukraine. 
And uh, speaking of uh, things that need uh, translating, to Ben Shapiro. <laughs> ben Shapiro. <laughs> ben Shapiro, which uh, is great, as I say it out loud, and I hope is also some sort of uh, Harry Potter spell. And you know, look, if you'd like to join their ranks and maybe have the dulcet tones of Allison reading your name aloud, well, you know, convince more of your friends to sign up. Yeah, and you can ask for that specifically if you want me to yeah. say it instead of Andrew. Uh, you'd be a fool not to <laughs> but yeah head to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod give us a buck you'll get the ad free version of every show uh you'll show appreciation for what we do here and we thank you greatly for that and you'll help keep us on the air and off spotify and with that in mind <laughs> let's get on with the show so allison and our lead story tonight clarence thomas is a hypocritical piece of shit mm, i'm not sure that counts as breaking news but yes i would concur <laughs> No, uh, not breaking news, but uh, it is worth pointing out the depth of his hypocrisy. So, look, you and I immediately wanted to cover this story (laughs) as soon as we saw other outlets reporting on Clarence Thomas's speech at an event in Utah hosted by the Orrin Hatch Foundation in which... Yeah, that's bad, too. In which Justice Thomas, and, and I struggle to report this with a straight face, said that he is deeply concerned about efforts to politicize the court. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's right. The senior most justice on the most politicized court in American history, and that's something we can prove with math, not just my opinion, decided to warn Americans about the long-term consequences of, you guessed it, cancel culture, which I guess is something Clarence Thomas thinks means whenever whenever liberals talk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I- It's weird. I don't know. Uh, It sure is. Look, like this warning would have been perfectly delivered if Clarence Thomas had a DeLorean and could travel (laughs) back to 1980. Right. But it seems kind of stupid when you're delivering it in 2022. He said, real quote here, you can cavalierly talk about packing or stacking the court. You can cavalierly talk about doing this or doing that. At some point, the institution is going to be compromised. Gee, gee, you think, Clarence? (laughs) By doing this, you continue to chip away at the respect of the institutions. I I continue to chip away at the respect (laughs) of the institutions that you shit upon every day, sir? Is that what you're saying? That the next generation is going to need if they're going to have civil society end real quote, irony is dead civil society in which i'm not allowed to say what i want teach what i want do what i want with my body say the word gay gotcha yeah but yeah good to know that the supreme court justice who wrote that long-standing precedent just doesn't count (laughs) when it's an opinion he really really disagrees with it's good to know he's suddenly become concerned about the future of the supreme court as an institution of civil society Uh, this entire court is full of right-wing activists but clarence thomas has become a master in the art of saying the quiet part out loud Now, originalism in general is a transparently obvious tool just to allow judges to make stuff up. But even Brett Kavanaugh occasionally stumbles a bit when when the question is, should the court disregard decades, decades of prior law because it's not conservative enough? Yeah. uh, Clarence Thomas really does come in below and beneath his fellow SCOTUS brethren in rejecting the the doctrine of stare decisis. That is, let the prior decision stand, which is at least as old as the doctrine of judicial review itself, right? In 2019, in a case called Gamble versus U.S., 
we both covered this on our shows, the the Supreme Court was wrestling with the question of whether the protections of double jeopardy would extend to someone prosecuted twice for the same action, first by the U.S. government and then by a state government. And, you know, that had some Trump implications, but also larger criminal justice implications. And the majority said, and I'm not sure they're right, but the majority said, yeah, that's fine under a longstanding doctrine of dual sovereignty. Clarence Thomas wrote separately in a concurrence to agree with the result that the court reached. But, and here I'm going to quote from him directly, to address the proper role of the doctrine of stare decisis. End of quote. Uh, so Thomas's argument was that stare decisis doesn't count if he doesn't want it to. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think I'm being uh, uncharitable here, let's, let's quote him directly. Quote, when faced with a demonstrably erroneous precedent, my rule, my rule is simple. We should not follow it. <laughs> what's a demonstrably <laughs> erroneous precedent and why is this your rule bro uh, <laughs> we don't know because that's not a phrase that has a defined legal meaning that's not a legal term of art nope. it, it means literally whatever ct thinks is a really bad decision and in 2019 he was signaling it applied to a case that rhymes with ov wade yeah so look we already know that clarence thomas is the most dangerous member of an already dangerous right-wing court. I guess we're also learning he's the biggest hypocrite as well. Yeah, we'll try this on for size. Thomas Wind, quote, I'm afraid, particularly in this world of cancel culture attack, I don't know where you're going to learn to engage as we did when I grew up. If you don't <laughs> learn at that level in high school, in grammar school, in your neighborhood, he calls it grammar school, in yep. your neighborhood <laughs> or in civic organizations, then how do you have it when you're making decisions in government, in the legislature or in the courts? He literally yeah. said that. And, and if you can't trust me, the guy who literally said nothing on the court for two decades to give you a lecture about dialogue, who can you trust? <laughs> He did not add. <laughs> That's you, I bet. Now, Thomas didn't just pile on the right's favorite boogeyman of cancel culture. He also attacked the media. Oh, that's where, who, who else do I know? <laughs> uh, he attacked the media for cultivating inaccurate impressions about public figures, uh, mostly meaning himself and his wife. Uh, and it's funny that he should mention his wife because we also learned just a few days later that Ginny Thomas the wife of Clarence Thomas, was physically there at 1-6 at the Stop the Steal rally on the Ellipse. She was there. Uh, yeah, this, this is coming up. Ginny Thomas claims to have gotten cold and gone home before the budding criminal conspiracy turned into a violent insurrection, which I guess is the treason version of I didn't inhale. I, anyway, this is a thing that we learned from a spouse of a Supreme Court justice uh, who was doing a thing she should not be doing under any circumstances anyway, which is granting interviews to right-wing garbage outlets like the Washington Free Beacon, uh, which is crap. Yeah, Washington Free Beacon. They were the ones that were paying for the Steele dossier before, <laughs> yeah. before Clinton took it over. And by the way, I, I like to leave things before they get violent as well, especially if I know they're going to get violent. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's a total get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Yeah. yeah, and channeling her best inner Susan Collins, Jenny Thomas announced she was, quote, disappointed and frustrated that there was violence that happened following such a peaceful gathering of Trump supporters on the Ellipse on January 6th, which is fucking gaslighting. Yeah. Uh, if you're not already horrified, the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice 
Jenny Thomas said, quote, there are important and legitimate substantive questions about achieving goals like electoral integrity, racial equality, and political accountability that a democratic system like ours needs to be able to discuss and debate rationally in the political square by lighting torches and carrying pitchforks to physically take over the Capitol to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress. No, she didn't say that. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's she just, said that she said that other stuff though. I know. <laughs> she did say racial quality, political accountability that a democratic system like ours needs to be able to discuss and debate rationally in the political square. I fear we are losing that ability. No, it's just nobody uh, wants to talk to you. That's that's all. Uh, look, th- this is not the first indication we've gotten that Clarence Thomas's wife is a full-on mega idiot, okay? But it continues to confirm that this is not just something she does in her spare time, right? Last month, Ginny Thomas sent an apology email to her husband's former law clerks, right? These are Supreme Court clerks. That's one of the nine best jobs you can get coming out of law school, poised to take on some of the highest profile legal jobs in the country. And she apologized to them for, quote, having likely imposed on you my lifetime passions, end of quote. That sounds really gross. Yeah. Um, please don't Im- impose your passions upon me, Jenny Thomas. No. Uh, or and, anyone. No one should impose their lifetime mm, passions on anyone. Ugh, no. And and that came after Jenny Thomas tweeted out her active support for violent overthrow of American democracy. In a Facebook post that went viral, she linked to a news item about the protest, writing, Love MAGA people. Her her next status <sighs> update said, God bless each of you standing up for praying, or standing up or praying, excuse me. Uh, two days after the insurrection, she added a disclaimer to her feed, uh, lying, <laughs> and <laughs> saying she wrote them before violence in U.S. Capitol. That's a stupid lie, because she linked to a news article about the insurrection. <laughs> <laughs> next, oh. the next, she needs to borrow her husband's DeLorean uh, the, the next day she took her Facebook feed private and presumably deleted the incriminating evidence so I'm the law guy if you're asking hey is it a breach of Supreme Court ethics that Clarence Thomas fails to recuse himself from mega big lie cases and was the only dissenting vote in the National Archives case of course it is the legal standard for recusal is that a federal judge and yes that includes a Supreme Court justice quote, shall disqualify himself in any proceeding in which his impartiality might reasonably be questioned, right? Not not there must be a proven conflict of interest. If this would look and smell bad, you should recuse yourself. That's what our precious, revered founding fathers that you claim to worship at the altar of wanted. And by the way, Hey, wasn't your wife among these lunatics is precisely the kind of thing that questions someone's impartiality. But I know you're one step ahead of me, Allison. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the standard for recusal that I just accurately described is enforced by the judiciary itself. And the only body capable of enforcing it on a Supreme Court justice is go fuck yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, the only remedy for a Supreme Court justice who behaves unethically is impeachment. And if Republicans in Congress aren't ready to vote to convict a president of their party who attacks the Capitol, it's pretty dubious (laughs) that they'd convict Thomas over something as banal as gross ethical violations. (laughs) Um, It's still it's worth pointing out that we have a Supreme Court justice who decries politicization as his wife signs a petition calling the 1-6 committee overly partisan political persecution. 
Yeah. Well, after that story, I, for one, need a quick break. Yeah, I do too. I have to, I have to, I feel like I have to take a Gattaca shower after that. And, (laughs) and then, and then like, just how can he be ruling on archives cases and stuff with the one six committee? It's, it's no surprise. I mean, he has to come home and the most charitable view is that Clarence Thomas is big lie agnostic. Right. Mm. That's the best that we can hope for is that one of our sitting Supreme Court justices listens to QAnon level nonsense at home and isn't like, holy crap, how do I divorce this woman and move to another nation? Right. Like that. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is they yuck about it together and have, have planned this out. And like if you look at Clarence Thomas's travel and speaking engagements, you know, you can figure out. Which uh, which of those polls, both of which are super bad, uh, are uh, are the most likely? And I, I think I know where I reside. Yeah, yeah, samezies. And and with that, let's do that. Let's do that break we were talking about. Everybody, we'll yeah. be we'll be right back. Hang around. Hey everybody, it's AG for Clean Up on All Forty Five, and I really want to tell you about Feels CBD. CBD is safe, it's natural, and it's a healthy way to help eliminate stress, anxiety, and pain from your daily life. CBD has been so helpful for me to relieve soreness after the gym, anxiety, nervousness, sleeplessness, all without harmful side effects. Feels is a better way to feel better, and we have an offer for you. Go to Feels, F-E-A-L-S, feels.com slash cleanup, and you'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. And the great thing about Feels is it's premium CBD that will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. You can order it online and have it delivered right to your door. CBD helps reduce anxiety, stress, pain, insomnia, and it does it naturally with no hangover, no addiction. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue. Finding the ideal dose is also important, and everyone's dose is different. So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. I love that so much. And you can rely on Feels customer service and their amazing team to get the most out of your CBD. Self-care is easy with a Feels membership. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. It's super simple. Don't be afraid of it. I love it. And you can start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash cleanup. You'll get 40% off your first three months with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup to become a member and get 40% off automatically for your first three months with free shipping. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. I have some good cleanup news to cleanse right. our palates with. Uh, this is Biden wiping out more student debt. And this has to do with the Federal Student Loan Forgiveness Program. And what that program does is that if you're a public servant or you know, teacher, you work in charity, some, 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 something like that, you're serving the public, and you make 10 years of on-time payments toward your student loans, the balance after that, tenth, that end of that 10th year, the balance is forgiven. But that program was rife with problems because of red tape and a thousand different things that could disqualify your payments as counting toward those 10 years. Right. That that is exactly right. But now the Department of Education said last Wednesday that it has identified 100,000 borrowers who are eligible for student debt cancellation due to internal changes that the Department of Education made to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program in October of 2021. The cancellations for those 100,000 people are expected to total $6.2 billion in federal student debt relief. Now, 
Not all of the eligible borrowers have been notified of their debt relief yet, uh, but they are being notified on a rolling basis. Uh, and the DOE has said they they do not have an estimate right now of when all of them will be contacted, but will supplement. And again, I, I, you can hear the criticisms, right? It's it's not all student. It's 100,000 people and six point two billion dollars. Yeah. And and we've talked about this. I think he's waiting on an OLC memo. I think he's got the DOE memo. Uh, he, he's going to we'll talk about this in a little bit about the the, the pause on student loan payments um, that's currently in effect. But many borrowers, including myself, criticized this program as difficult to navigate. Some said they found they weren't eligible for forgiveness only after making what they thought were a decade's worth of qualifying payments. <sighs> Only borrowers with specific kinds of federal loans and enrolled in certain repayment programs were eligible. And now in my case, when my loan was sold from one servicer to another, they didn't bill me for a month. They say, we're switching you over. You don't have to make your payment this month. I was like, cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll go to a steakhouse tonight. Um, they didn't bill me for a month. Uh, and But then none of my subsequent payments counted because somehow they were all 30 days past due. For years. Now, I appealed and I appealed after four years of appeals. And finally, finally, they granted me the credits for those payments. But that was after Biden's new rules went into effect for veterans. And he had already forgiven my entire student debt (laughs) for being a 100 percent disabled veteran. So I fell in in, I was potentially in one of two different programs there. So here's what's new. Right. Due to the temporary waiver. It no longer matters what kind of federal student loan a borrower has or what repayment plan they're they're enrolled in, right? All payments will be eligible for the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program if the borrower was working full-time for a qualified employer. Previously, eligibility also hinged on having a direct loan, being enrolled in an income-driven repayment plan, which sets payments based on income and family size. So those with federal family education loans which were made technically made by private lenders, but backed by the government, did not qualify. Yeah, a lot of people didn't qualify. And then they right. had these weird, like, just hiccups that they were a culture of no. So, so here's what you have to do. First, you have to have one of those qualifying jobs, Andrew, that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, now, many borrowers don't have to take any action in order to have the Department of Education review and update the number of their qualifying payments. But those with older federal family education loans will have to consolidate them into direct loans if they have not already done so. Payments made before consolidation will now count toward receiving relief. Uh, Those who already have direct loans but have not submitted employment certification forms for past periods of repayment must do that now as well. So you have to be certified. Some people just gave up, right? Mm. And you have until October 31st to make those changes to qualify for forgiveness under this temporary waiver. So get on it. Yeah. And for everyone else that still owes student loan debt, the Biden administration announced late last year that payments will resume on May 1st. Uh, Student loan payments have been on pause since 2020 because of the pandemic. Uh, But if you're agonizing towards that point, Ron Klain went uh, on Pod Save America and uh, told those guys that there will probably be another pause announced soon. So uh, we again, we have an administration that is looking and taking action with respect to the massive federal student loan debt problem. And, um, uh, you know, it's 
He's I trying. Think that I think for he's, itself. I think he's yeah. trying to get to to live up to his campaign promise of you know getting rid of student debt for for most people. I think like eighty eight percent of borrowers or something like that. Um, be, be cynical. Let's assume that he didn't mean that campaign promise, right? Let's assume that Joe Biden has no intention of doing anything further with respect to forgiving federal student loan debt. Nevertheless, the difference between the last guy who put Betsy DeVos in charge of the Department of Education and reduced the forgiveness program to zero, and this guy is $6.2 billion. Mm-hmm. And that's just I, in this round. He's been he's been getting rid of chunks of student debt, um, for-profit colleges, permanent and total disability, SSI, veterans. Like, he's been, everything he can do, he's been doing, which leads me to believe he wants to do this other thing and is waiting to hear if he can. I think, I think that's the right take. I understand there's a lot of frustration out there, uh, but, uh, you know, we've got to, we got to call it like we see it. Yeah, and let's take a minute and, and be glad for the people who are getting their loans forgiven. Um, before we get to comings and goings, Andrew, I have a surprise legal question for you. Okay. Because, and this is totally unscripted, everyone. I'm taking Andrew completely by surprise. He Love usually it. knows my questions, but today he doesn't. He never has a second cup of coffee at home. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing. Just before we started to record this, and we record this on Monday afternoons, so everyone knows, Monday evenings, um, there was a filing made in the Enrico, Enrique Tario case. And this filing is the Department of Justice saying, hey, this guy needs to be detained while he awaits trial. And he needs to be detained while he awaits trial because he's going to tamper with witnesses. He's going to obstruct justice. He's going to destroy evidence. He is a flight risk. And we're charging him with the destruction of government property for over $1,000, which kind of automatically means that he's not safe to be out in the public. Uh, But there's one line in here that has stood out to me glaringly, and it's on page four. And it's in the background of what Tario did and why he's such a danger and a menace. And it opens with the line, on December 20th, 2020, The day after plans were announced for a quote-unquote wild protest in D.C. on January 6th, Tario created an encrypted messaging group for use by MOSD leaders. Those are Proud Boys leaders. Mm -hmm. And the thing that stands out to me here is that there's no real reason that the Department of Justice has to reference Donald Trump's tweet. But they do. They say... On December 20th, he created this group the day after plans were announced for a, quote, wild protest Mm. in D.C. First of all, plans were announced. (laughs) By President Dash One. (laughs) (laughs) For a wild protest. Wild is in quotes. Right. Emphasis added or emphasis, you know, important. The The emphasis is important there because that's the, that is the, first of all, it's a reference to Donald Trump's tweet. Second of all, it's putting wild in quotes as if to say, yeah, wild protest our ass. But this is the first time I've seen in a public document, an implication, a link between the leaders of the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers and Donald Trump. And what my question here is, because we know that the January 6th committee put out a thing, uh, you know, the filing in the Eastman thing saying, hey, we think crimes were committed. One of them is obstructing an official proceeding, 1512C2, conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and 371, a conspiracy to defraud the United States. And 
they said that this was done in this conspiracy was between him and the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that the DOJ mentions this tweet here and calls his tweet plans and says the very next day, Enrique Tario created this leadership thing for the Proud Boys, who, who were standing back and standing by, by the way. Does that conspiracy, does a criminal conspiracy need a tacit agreement between the parties? Because we know Donald Trump wasn't in that parking garage with him and Stuart Rhodes on January 5th. But could his, it seems like the DOJ here is saying, your tweet kicked off this this attack on the Capitol. And, and, and that's what the implication here, to me, seems to to be. Yeah, that that's right. So let's unpack that a little bit. In order to convict someone of participating in a criminal conspiracy, you have to show two things and only two things, right? The first is you have to show that there is broad agreement on a criminal objective. Okay. That criminal objective can be preventing the next president of the United States from being lawfully sworn in. Right. Um, You do not have to have agreement on every action that every member of the conspiracy takes in furtherance of the conspiracy. In fact, all you need is one. You've heard you've heard and quoted this language at length on your show. One overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. So let's put this in practical terms. If you and I get together and say, all right. Um, we're going to rob uh, this liquor store and Allison, you're going to be in charge of logistics on the ground and you do whatever it takes uh, to make sure that we get through uh, the front door in order to rob the store. Right. And then you go off and buy a gun at that point, by the way, there's a criminal conspiracy. Both of us can be arrested, charged with criminal conspiracy to uh, engage in armed robbery. So for Trump to say, we need to stop the certification of the results, and for another group to say, that's my we cue can do that. to attack yep. the Capitol, then yep. we have an and overt when, act and we have, a, 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 what was the first one? A, an agreement. An, a, agreement. A, a, an agreement on an illegal objective. That That is correct. You do not have to individually ratify each of the actions, right? Now, whatever you do inside that liquor store, I'm responsible for, right? I'm the one who said Allison was going to be the boots on the ground inside the liquor store. And if Donald Trump said, yeah, I'm going to outsource this to the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, and you figure out how to disrupt things and you know, I'll handle, you know, saying it's going to be wild and, you know, treating it like it's a visit to a theme park or something. What if it can't be proven that he outsourced it to the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys? He just tweeted about it and made speeches and told them to stand back and stand by. And so that 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 is and, and, and this was implicit in your first question. You do not need an express agreement of the Beavis and Butthead form, right? You do not need, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to exchange goods and services for sexual favors. Mm-hmm. Consent agreement may be inferred, may be tacit uh, from among the members because, shocker, that's how criminals do their criming thing, right? And that's what it's up to a jury to decide is you demonstrate over and over again these connections between these individuals and you say, was there an implicit agreement? 
right? Was there an understanding by and between them that, you know, they were to serve as the muscle uh, for conducting this activity? And I, one of the things we know... Well, they all I, had the same broad understanding. And, I, and, it, and within this filing there, and within most of the filings that we see, repeated over and over again. I mean, and, and the DOJ was trying to get some of these folks to sign an affidavit saying they were doing this at Trump's direction. And, and, and that really is, I mean, it's, it's why you and I have spent time on this. It's why you've done episodes of the beans on it. And I have done, uh, you know, two big and counting OA uh, episodes, uh, on the John Eastman stuff until recently. Donald Trump had a pretty good get out of jail free card, right? It's the one that's not available in Atlanta, right? And and put a pin in that. But his get out of jail free card in connection with the 1-6 insurrection was, I honestly believe that I won 100 million votes and Dominion got the ghost of Hugo Chavez to send the votes to Europe where they were converted into Biden votes and sent back. And without the brave investigation of a coked up pillow dealer, like I couldn't have possibly figured this out. And so everything I did, I thought I was doing in service of the actual results. And he did that and with the, the Russia investigation too. I, yeah, I wasn't obstructing and, justice. I was just punching back at the guys who were lying about me. Yeah. He's, he's, he uses this all the time. That's, that's his MO. That's exactly right. And in the case, I, I thought it was, demonstrated beyond a reasonable doubt in the Russian investigation. But uh, in this case, I thought that that without something more, that Trump was going to skate on this, right? Because his actions are consistent with an idiot lunatic. Me too. Who thinks his, he's his son skated yeah. on it with regards to the Trump Tower right. meeting. We talked about that at some length. The Donald Trump Jr. is too stupid to know that this is a crime. Too dumb to right? crime. Yeah. The evidence from John Eastman does not yet establish, but suggests that Donald Trump was far craftier, got nuanced advice from truly evil people who said, look, I know we're going to do X and we're going to do Y and we're going to do Z, uh, but those things aren't likely to work, man. We're going to lose. And if you want to stay in power, if you want to be the president, we're going to have to do something other than that. Yeah. Well, we and, already know he told Greg Jacob. Yep. Hey, let's just break the law a little bit. Uh, no, <laughs> now that the Electoral <laughs> Count Act is not so sacrosanct. Yeah. So, I, it, it look, I... Uh, I know I've used this analogy a lot. Our listeners feel a lot like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football, right? I, I do right, not want to so. say, yeah, back up to the starting line and run at the football and this isn't going to get pulled away from you again. Okay. But what I do want to say is maybe be willing to play football again. Yeah, and right? I'm like, the dork who always runs up to the football because I have so much hope and, and faith. It, it, uh, but I do too. But, but I the, think there are reasons for that. But yeah, here's the ahead. thing, Andrew. This is the first time I've seen in writing a connection, a connect, an implied connection between Donald Trump and the leader of the Oath Keepers. And, and what I think is really fascinating is that they, they say the day after plans were announced, he created this thing it's a wild protest. Wild is in quotes. If if they this says to me they connect Trump to the Proud Boys because they did not have to mention Trump's tweet. They could have just said, hey, on December 20th, Enrique Tario created an encrypted messaging group for leaders of the Proud Boys. 
and 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 by the way, that alternate history that you've described there is what Stuart Rhodes, what, what his indictment looks like, right? It talks about the internal communications networks uh, that the Oath Keepers set up, but there is no explicit connection to following a Trump tweet or announcement. So I, I, I agree with you that this represents a change in the way in which the DOJ is writing these indictments. And that is why Stuart Rhodes was charged. Okay. In my opinion, that is why Stuart Rhodes was charged with seditious conspiracy first, because once you Mm -hmm. hit Enrique Tarrio with seditious conspiracy, that is because you are going to be hitting Roger Stone or Donald Trump or anybody else with seditious conspiracy, because he is not on the even rung of the ladder with Stuart Rhodes. He is a rung up. Do you you follow me? And over here in the Oath Keeper Stuart Rhodes situation, we've got Josh James, who has pled guilty to, to, to seditious conspiracy. And that is going up because they had Stuart Rhodes was at that meeting in the garage. Oh, and by the way, so was a documentary camera film crew, which was also, I don't know if it's the same documentary film crew that was following Roger Stone around, but I'd bet at least Devin Nunez's farm that they're probably related. <laughs> but I don't, but again, I don't know. But that, this to me is evidence that the Department of Justice connects Donald Trump or is trying to connect Donald Trump to the conspiracy. Uh, seditious conspiracy, if not seditious conspiracy, then conspiracy to defraud the United States and and probably conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. I think that's right. And again, I, I think that dovetails with what you and I talked about on the show uh, in, in connection with the Eastman stuff. The one six committee did not have to put in writing. We believe that substantial evidence exists to charge Donald Trump with at least two crimes. Yeah, they didn't have to say that. And they did. And I don't think that was an accident. And what was even cooler is the week before that even happened, Barb McQuaid put out a mock indictment Mm. with Mm -hmm. those exact two charges the two that you've been talking about the two that i've been talking about ever since liz cheney opened her mouth and used words from 1512 c2 i was like hey hey, hey." and maddo got it wrong she said it was 18 us code 50105 and i was like no 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 it's not obstructing congress that's only five years we don't want that we want obstructing an official proceeding but i think that we could see and i'm hoping at least that what we should know or find out about is that they were or are investigating Donald Trump for conspiracy, for a conspiracy with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. And the Oath Keepers went first, the Proud Boys would go next, and then that would include the whole Stones, you know, uh, which could probably just even be an offshoot. You don't even need Roger Stone. Yeah, and look, we know, I think Roger Stone has demonstrated he's not flipping. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's not afraid to do a dime. Uh, but this. You don't even Rhodes need him. And, you don't Rhodes need him. Rhodes and Tario strike me as the kind, you know, the, the, the uh, huge macho front facing. And then the minute they're in custody, start crying and, you know, singing uh, uh, as long as the day is long. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong but on that. But you don't even but, need them to sing. Yeah. We have the acts. Yeah. We do. Yeah. And we have the Eastman stuff. We have to just have to prove that Donald's not too dumb to crime. 
that he knew he yep. lost. He is dumb, but he knew he lost. All right. Thank you for answering my off the cuff breaking <laughs> news question about the law. Let's get into comings and goings because <clears throat> Joe Manchin. Yeah. Said Monday. So, yeah. Joe Manchin said on Monday that uh, he now opposes one of President Biden's nominees to the Federal Reserve, leaving her candidacy to join uh, the central bank. Uh, and that should be rejoin. We'll explain later. Um Probably dead in the water. Manchin, Manchin said, I have carefully reviewed Sarah Bloom Raskin's qualifications in previous public statements. Her previous public statements have failed to satisfactorily address my concerns about the critical importance of financing and all of the above energy policy to meet our nation's critical energy needs. There's so much to unpack. There. Yeah, we don't even need to, because I think what he meant to say is since I get the bulk of my money from coal and oil and I don't like her because she's called for stronger climate policies. I don't want her in the Fed. Um, now, Biden has also nominated Jerome Powell to a second term as Fed chair, who does the first Fed chair who doesn't have a degree in economics. Uh, he's chosen mm -hmm. Alael Brainard as vice chair and picked Lisa Cook and Philip Jefferson as federal as Fed governors. Yeah. And, and let's say Lael Brainard, Lisa Cook, Philip Jefferson, solid choices, yes. right? The idea that Brainerd versus Raskin was, you know, a, a liberal conservative divide. We covered that here on that show uh, here on the show. Not true. Anyway, Manchin's remarks cap a weeks long standoff between Democrats and Republicans on the Senate Banking Committee, where the GOP, of course, has boycotted a vote on the president's candidates out of opposition to Raskin. Yeah. Yeah. And the Republicans led by the ranking member Toomey. Yeah. Have said they're open to holding a vote on Powell, Brainard, Cook, and Jefferson. But Democrats, led by the White House and Brown, have said they will hold a vote only if all the nominees are included. My entire slate. So, yeah. Andrew, why do they care about what a nominee to the Fed thinks about coal? <laughs> yeah. And, and the role here is a percentage of minor of nothing, right? But the Republicans. And Manchin, who has been criticizing uh, and fighting Raskin since early February, fear that, see if you can follow this, she could urge the Fed to discourage banks from lending to fossil fuel companies. Um, it, it, again, if you're thinking that sounds like the telephone game, you're right. Uh, and it shows also just how dishonest Joe Manchin is, right? He has previously voted to confirm Raskin twice, once as a member of the Federal Reserve Board. She is rejoining that. She left the Fed. Uh, uh, that that time, by the way, she was confirmed unanimously. So, you know, that, that all of a sudden was not, you know, went from 100 to nothing to existential threat to the republic. Um, but also uh, in 2014, uh, Barack Obama nominated uh, Raskin to be deputy secretary of the Treasury, which, by the way, if you're asking what has a greater influence on uh, climate change lending policy, deputy secretary of the Treasury or member of the Federal Reserve Bank, um, the answer is the former. But nevertheless, uh, Joe Manchin was perfectly happy to confirm her back then. Um, that's why she's not on the Federal Reserve Board right now, uh, because she had to resign to go be Deputy Secretary of the Treasury. So um, this is grandstanding. It is gross. 
It is why you need to turn up in 2022 and vote Democratic all the way down the ballot, because maybe we'll get a couple of Democrats as senators to replace a couple of Republicans. And we don't have to cater to this asshole anymore. Yeah. And a question, though, if she's really not a threat to climate, to coal, what is this? Is this just a test like that his donors are saying, like, like his dirty coal guys are in a dark room saying, Vote no on Raskin. But it's not going to make a difference. Just do it to show your loyalty. Like, what? what is the point? Yeah, I. it's hard for me to imagine what the point is other than it's a really effective triangulation strategy if you are Republicans, knowing that if you can torpedo uh, a nominee on liberal grounds, then you can go back and stoke up the far left like, see, Joe Biden K. Because because look, let me tell you this. Joe Biden has to cave now. Right. There, there's no path forward. No, right. Republicans are united against Raskin. And Mansion, Mansion has said, I will not vote for Raskin. That means that she will be pulled as a nominee and replaced by somebody else. And that is a win all the way around because Republicans get to get rid of what would be a consistent voice in line with the administration's green policies from the Fed. And they get to stoke up resentment on the left. Yeah, they do. But how is this a win for Manchin? I don't know. That's what I I don't understand. I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe his is, donors, his coil, his coil, his coal and oil his donors coil. were like, uh, <laughs> we're just not going to fund you if you don't vote no. And that, that's so that they can get the Republicans what the what they want for I, the Republicans. I, I don't know. I have yet to figure out what what Joe Manchin's end game is. I don't know. I, 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 fucking hate I don't know. Uh, fortunately, we do have some happier news, though, Andrew. Late okay. last week, the Department of Justice announced it was going to appoint Associate Deputy Attorney General Kevin Chambers to be the DOJ chief pandemic prosecutor, something that Biden uh, had been urging uh, to get since his State of the Union address. Quote, Mm -hmm. in the early days of the pandemic, the previous administration consistently undermined the watchdogs whose job it was to keep relief funds from being wasted or abused. Emergency loans, I'm continuing the quote here, that were supposed to help small businesses keep the lights on and keep employees on the payroll were siphoned off by wealthy scammers. Foreign and domestic criminal syndicates intercepted benefits meant for Americans in dire need of relief, unquote. Yeah, and that's not just rhetoric, right? Identity theft is up 3,000% during the pandemic. And the Biden administration estimates that it may recover billions of dollars in pandemic-related financial fraud. By the way, I have some mega churches that I think would be good ideas for uh, <laughs> DAG uh, Chambers as the chief pandemic prosecutor to take a look at. Yeah, I could just imagine his inbox. Hey, take a look at this. Um, but yeah, Biden said the watchdogs are back, and I agree. So welcome aboard, Mr. Chambers. All right. And finally... We have a long list of high-level executive branch officials in the queue, again, as part of the work of rebuilding what the other guy tore down. Uh, It includes two high-ranking HHS civil servants. So welcome aboard to Rita Landgraf, who is the nominee for Assistant Secretary for Aging, and to Rosalind So, who is the nominee for Director of the Indian Health Service. That's what it's called at uh, Health and Human Services. All right, right on. And in the Department of Veterans Affairs, we welcome a bunch (laughs) of new appointees, none of which are me. No one asked me, including Sharif El-Nalhal, nominee for Undersecretary for Health. That's the job I wanted. 
Ray yeah. Jefferson, nominee for Undersecretary for Benefits, Veterans Benefits Administration, Patrick Murphy, nominee for Chair of the Asset and Infrastructure Review Commission. I know all these jobs. Oh, my God. Jonathan <laughs> Woodson, nominee for Vice Chair of the Asset and Infrastructure Review Commission. And new member, uh, new members, William Blake. <laughs> I just think of Susan Sarandon. William, William Blake. Blake. <laughs> William Blake. That's an excellent Susan Sarandon impression. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, William Blake. Uh, Michael Blecker. Don't you think this is a bit much for the Carolina League? <laughs> <laughs> the road to excess. Uh, uh, Christine L. Joyce Johnson, uh, Lucretia McClenney, and Jose Ramos. The commission's job, despite the arcane title, by the way, uh, and uh, which William Blake is going to be responsible for, <laughs> is to prepare recommendations for the VA to best serve veterans' health, including recommendations to modernize the VA health system. I was perfectly available for any of these positions. Uh, I, hope, I would have seconded that nomination. I hope so. they're veterans. Um, I had a little bit of a hissy fit when I found out he nominated a non-veteran to be the VA secretary. Um, yeah, yeah. But we've had a couple of really shitty veterans be VA secretaries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all agree uh, n- none none would have been uh, as good a nominee as, as you, but still welcome aboard. I would and, not uh, envy anybody else who run that fucking place, oof. dude. 300,000 employees in Congress every day just testifying like, yeah, people died. They did. They died. They're veterans. They're old. They died. You did it. Yeah, you, they they were in our care. But, you know, you can't just go to Congress and say, people die every day. It's just a fact of life. You can't really do that when you're in charge of the VA. So. And uh, let's go watch Bull Durham together. Yeah, let's. Uh, although, you know, I, I could I could do without Susan Sarandon's politics. But uh, <sighs> but uh, I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of Tim Robbins. And if you haven't listened to the Daily Beans interview of with tim robbins you must it's one of my favorites i'm i'm a little bit jealous that you got to do that so (laughs) i'm surprised surprised myself every day with the people that uh, (laughs) agree to speak to me (laughs) (laughs) i i am still lobbying john cusack after i learned that he was a show listener so uh, (laughs) yeah yeah. oh that would be so great john if you're listening um I've actually, uh, we, you know, we talk a little bit. I've read a book to that he wrote with, uh, uh, he co-authored. It's it's really good. I was like, come on, we'll talk about it. And then I just yeah. never heard back from him. And then he'll 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 just randomly text me out of the blue about a baseball game or something. It's yep. an interesting fella. Um, but I've seriously at least once a week I watch a movie that has him in it. Last night it was say anything. So. <sighs> say anything and, and most John Cusack movies kind of fit that that profile of I can just put them on anytime and like watch it mm-hmm. high it's, fidelity it's two thirds of the week. oh god is high fidelity good yeah. that's a yeah all right anyway we're gonna continue this conversation off the air you don't get to hear it on our new but... <laughs> movies podcast no I'm just kidding um but... it's just it's just you and I doing lines from <laughs> Movies of the eighties, but uh, this is this has been a good a, a great show. I look forward to see, to seeing what the judge has to say in the Eastman case because Eastman has said he wants to slow down his email production to about half pace so that he wouldn't be done by <laughs> until May sixth. I'm also looking forward to see what happens with those hundred and eleven emails that he claimed were privileged that the that the judge decided they needed to take a peek at. 
and the judge has said, I will tell you in writing all of the stuff that has to be handed over. And what and if if not, why not? You know, and if so, why? So, like he's going to spell it all out and we might find out that there's a little bit of crime, crimey crime fraud stuff going on. So uh, we just may. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And, and what's really fun to me is that, you know, that that Greg Jacob email we were talking about earlier where he said, just break the law a little bit. Just break it a little bit. What's one more minor violation? That's an email that they got. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't know that they got it from Eastman. I think they got it from Greg Jacob. Yeah, they got it from Jacob. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it when you read Jacob's deposition testimony and they only attached about 30 mm-hmm. pages of it, it went on all day and it was clear that, you know, he came in and said, all right, this is I will give you whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and and to walk through the like. I don't really recognize was his was his answer to how Eastman has characterized his advice in public. Right. He said, uh, I told uh, the president and the vice president that it would be foolish of the vice president to exercise unilateral authority to throw out electors or suspend, you know, make a judgment. Um, that's what he, he told our buddy uh, Lawrence Lessig on, uh, on, on Lessig's podcast. We had Lessig on <laughs> to confirm that. And um, what Greg Jacob told the 1-6 committee in a deposition that, again, not publicly released, but not sealed, right? This is something we will see all of at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, quote, I don't really recognize those statements <laughs> as anything matching up to how John Eastman behaved no. on one five and one six. Yeah, so, no. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I, I'd be willing to bet there was some sort of deal where, where Greg and maybe Mark short were like, look, look, we'll tell you what you need to know, but you can't call Pence and you got to leave Pence alone. I, I think I, I would put all my beans on that. I think that's exactly right. These are very, very loyal folks. One more just to put into your ear that this is coming across my feed at the end of our recording. Um, Within the next couple of days, uh, an indictment will be unsealed against Andrei Muraviev, the Russian tycoon whose money Lev Parnas and his co-defendants were convicted of steering into U.S. elections. Oh, I have news for you. It's already unsealed and I've read it. Oh, okay, and great. It's well, then, fantastic. Oh, we well now we have two things to talk about once yes, the show ends. Yes, yes, right. and we can talk about that. We're gonna we're gonna cover it obviously on on Mueller. She wrote. I'm gonna see if I can get Peter Struck in, but we should nice. definitely talk about that. And it's just a superseding indictment for all of them. Yeah, right. Uh, including him, but you know you get to see Congressman One, who was Pete Sessions. <laughs> you get to see a Florida. A politician who is Ron DeSantis. You get to see, I mean, there's all sorts of neat little oh. nuggets in there of, of stuff where we're like, I heard about that. Yeah, I heard you gave $325,000 to Trump's super PAC that came from a foreign person. Uh, so wow. yeah, it's pretty, uh, just another one of those indictments. And we're going to see a lot of them, I think, coming out here uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks, months that mm-hmm. show, that, like when we when we learned about uh, Taub uh, asking for emails from WikiLeaks and and that they were given to him. Um, you know just how much Russia helped in yeah. in previous elections. And this is it's just going to keep coming out like this. And because we don't have a Department of Justice that's trying to hide it, we don't have Bill Barr inappropriately redacting Volume One of the Mueller report to downplay the depth and breadth of Russian collusion. Uh, so and and I think it's going to be very interesting to see some of the people who are exposed, especially in light of what Putin is doing right now to Ukraine. 
So much, so much. I know we could go on for another hour, but we got to end this show. Andrew, it has been wonderful to see you again. I love that I get to talk to you every week. It's forced. You have to talk to me. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, And again, if anybody wants to pitch in just a buck an episode to get the ad free feed, um, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash all four five pod and, you know, kick in, help us out, help us stay on Spotify. We would appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, that's it. Everybody, we'll see you next week on Clean Up on All 45. Bye-bye. Clean Up on All 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Feds favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.